You know, it's great to be in God's house, and I do believe that we serve a God of miracles, amen? And we have, uh, that, that's why we cry out to God, believing that he can heal Dennis's back. That's why um, my wife, Wendy, ministers in the uh, prophetic. The Holy Spirit uses her to speak to those who have need. That's God speaking directly to us. That's why God has delivered Ethan and he will deliver him again. And we're believing that in Jesus' name. Everyone say amen. amen. All right. Well, you know, it, it, it's kind of amazing how all these things flow together. Um, today we sang the song Firm Foundation. And it's specifically found in Luke chapter 6, which I'm preaching out of this morning. And we're finishing up our series called Upside Down. And in the, in the book of Luke chapter 6, Jesus is talking about how in God's kingdom, things are kind of backwards from the way we know it, the way we understand it. And Jesus' teachings, for the most part, seems backwards to human thinking. So it's very easy for those who sat and listened to him to question why are you teaching these things the, the way you are, and how on earth is this beneficial to me? And I, just, I just want you to hear a few of these things summarized. So in the first week, Jesus taught that God blesses the poor, the hungry, and the weak. Those who experience those blessings now, where you're never hungry, you're never poor, you're never weak, Jesus teaches will experience sorrow in eternity. I don't know about you, but, but that's humbling to me. And then in week two, Jesus taught to love your enemies and pray for those who hurt you. In week three, he taught us not to judge others, but to solely focus on ourselves. And then last week, he taught on examining the influences that we have in our life and investing in things that have a benefit for us for eternity, not this life. And as Jesus is teaching these things, as you can imagine, those who are sitting there who have always been taught a little contrary to what he is saying, it raised a lot of questions. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up and my parents were trying to teach me how to make good decisions... I remember them sometimes having to scream instruction at me. For instance, when I was five, don't put your hand on the stove. Who remembers getting told that? And, and I, I remember the, the, the question that always got asked by me when they would give explicit instructions like that was the follow-up question, why? And I remember them saying, touch it and find out. And, you, you know, uh, uh, Jesus had the same frustrations with the people who were following him where they're questioning his teachings and they know these Old Testament principles and so Jesus, he's dealing with this great frustration trying to explain to him the importance of following his teaching and that's where we pick up in Luke chapter 6 verses 46 through 49. It says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. 
But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds his house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, as Jesus instructs us further on the ramifications of not following his teaching, God, I pray that we can, we can take this truth and we can apply it to our lives. I thank you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Jesus says something that might seem puzzling on the surface when you look at it in verse 46. He says, so why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord? Now, in the United States of America, we don't, we don't call people lords over us. That's, that's not natural vernacular. But he says, if you've followed my teaching for any period of time, this is basically what he's saying. There is a difference saying, oh, I know who you are, Jesus, or to say, I know Jesus. And in our main text, he's, he's clearly frustrated with those who call him Lord, but they're not living like he is Lord. And I want to further explain this through an illustration. At my last church, we had this guy in our church, and his name was Nick Dean. And Nick Dean, he had a, he had a reputation. He was one of those guys that, that he swayed from one thing to the next, and he was all over the place all the time. In fact, to his face, we called him Lloyd Christmas. If you know that reference, then you'll understand kind of his personality. And one Sunday, he would be telling us, yep, I've decided I'm going into the NFL. I'm going to become an NFL-wide receiver. I'm trying out for the Minnesota Vikings. And we're like, okay, cool. So where are you practicing? I'm not. I'm just going to go up there, and I'm, I'm going to go right onto the practice field. Then the next Sunday, he came in, and he was going to be a firefighter. Then he came in the following Sunday. He's going to be a policeman. And then he decided that he was going to go into the UFC. And I remember, we're looking at him. This guy is 90 pounds sopping wet. I mean, he is thin. And I'm just, I'm like, you know, I don't know if that is such a good idea, right? And he's like, actually, there's, there's local fights here in town, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into that fight. And I remember his dad sat in the front row at this fight as he goes into the ring, and he lasts a grand total of about 12 seconds. I mean, this kid gets hit, and he is out cold. And as much as I was entertained Sunday after Sunday by him telling me the next thing that he is going to be doing that seems very unrealistic, I remember always talking to him and trying to get him to focus solely on God's purpose for him. And I challenged him, I said, where, where are you putting your efforts in? Because it, it seems like you're all over the place. Because, for example, if you are going to be an NFL-wide receiver, you have to put in the work and you have to start at a young age. And you better at least go out for the high school football team. I don't know. That's just a suggestion. If you want to be a UFC fighter, you better be one of the first guys in the gym and one of the last ones out. You better be eating a proper diet and you better be studying proper fighting technique. That's what it takes to be a UFC fighter. But if you decide that you want to do something based off of what you see on TV, and you're thinking, man, that looks fun, I think I'll do that. You're going to get a false perspective of what it takes 
to do that. Jesus says, you're not calling me Lord, Lord. Or you, you call me Lord, Lord, and yet you don't act like it. And Lord literally means one who has authority, power, or influence over us. So to summarize all this, you cannot say you follow him if you are not putting it into practice with what he teaches. You can come here Sunday after Sunday and you're like, you know what, Jesus, it feels so great to be in this room. And I would tell you, Jesus is not meant to be a fad. He's not meant to be a phase in your life. In fact, when he calls you into this faith to follow him, that purpose is to direct your steps the rest of your life. Each and every day. And he cannot be that authority of your life if you defer your power to another at other times. And I want to explain that. You know, God's word gets so specific in what you should do and what you shouldn't do. So let's say you come to church and you're like, you know, I, I'm terrified of death. And I hear that, you know, if I believe in Jesus, I have the security in going to heaven. And, and that sounds quite nice. So I'm going to live for him on the weekends. I'm going I'm to come to church. I'm going I'm, I'm to celebrate Jesus. I'm going to join in. But the rest of the week is contrary to biblical teaching. Clearly, by the patterns of your life, that would be Jesus saying, you know, you call me Lord, Lord, but there is nothing in your life that speaks to that. And so eventually we have to come to this point where we choose him to actually be Lord of our life, that authority, that power over our life, or we choose to walk away. And so say we decide we're, we're going to choose to follow Jesus. We, we choose to believe in him. That means that those patterns in your life begin to change. And more and more as you follow him, your life is mirroring the things that Jesus teaches. It's starting to look a lot like the way he lived his life. For example, if things in your life are contrary to scripture... They should start being removed as you serve him. Being removed as you hear things. When Jesus says, do this, you start applying it, showing that you've learned in your life. Now what if we're awakened in our faith and, and we realize our job, our friendships, our hobbies don't honor God? Believe it or not, God would tell you to give those things up. And you might be saying right now, Pastor, I can't, I can't give up my job. It's important. But I got a question. If your job in no way glorifies God, in fact, it does quite the opposite, there is nothing greater than showing, God, I am fully committed to you, and I am trusting in what you have for me, than saying, I'm going to find something else. Or if your friendships, and you might say, Pastor, I've, I've had these lifelong friendships. But I got a question. If they pull you into things that are sinful and they refuse to give them up and they refuse to honor your new commitment, that is not a friend worth keeping. Or if a hobby you have doesn't honor God, it's worth keeping. 
getting rid of that hobby, walking away from it. Matthew chapter 16, 25. Jesus says, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. So church, to summarize this, to to declare that Jesus is Lord, it requires dedication and it requires a change in who we are. And so when people choose to believe in his death and resurrection, we are taught that now all of a sudden, if you say, okay, I believe in Jesus, that marks new life. Your old man, we learn in scripture in, in Romans, has been put on the cross. You put that to death with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, that is why he died, that is why he suffered and died, to take your sins on the cross, and now we are living new life. And all of a sudden, in that new life, Jesus Christ becomes the foundation for which we stand on for everything that we do. But again, you have to be able to put it into practice. You have to build upon that. And the whole point of this, uh, the the whole point of what we build our house upon and how we build it comes down to one word, obedience. It comes down to whether or not we're obedient. So say that we choose to be obedient in what Jesus is asking us to do. Obedience provides protection. All of a sudden, we have protection over our life. Now, this isn't to say that if something bad happens to you, well, you're not being obedient. See, that's false thinking. But what it means is that Jesus, more importantly, is guarding your heart, is guarding your life, and is showing you the way you need to go through each and every trial. You see, when Jesus says, anyone who follows my teaching... It has also been translated, anyone who obeys. And I want you to understand this in his perspective for just a moment. Jesus has this huge contingency of people that are following him everywhere, and they're continually wanting to hear his teachings because it was so different than everything else that the synagogues, the temples were teaching at the time. But when they hear something they don't like, they begin to push back a little bit when he says things like, love your enemies. They hear that, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't realize what they've done to me. You don't realize what I've been through. But Jesus is showing us, as with many lessons, the payoff for doing the right thing is not always immediately seen, and we don't understand God's purpose in every action we take when he tells us to. But I can tell you this. With everything that Jesus taught, it's for one purpose, giving life. Now you might look in the mirror and you might say, you know what? It looks like I'm living. So why do I need to follow the words of Jesus? And I would tell you that God has created you with distinct purpose for eternity, amen? God has, he has created you with distinct purpose that once he creates you, it is to spend the rest of time with you. It is not so that you can just live a few short years on this earth and that's it. So Jesus, so, so that God could secure that relationship with you, 
Jesus is sent by God to show us the right way to go, and if we choose to hear those words, then it leads us into eternity. But it comes down to us being obedient. So we know that as parents, by following rules within our own home tends to keep you safe. Like, hey, don't put your hand on the stove. Why? I don't know. Touch it and find out. You know, those are the kind of rules that we set in our house to try and keep our kids safe. So think about just regular rules in our lives. The sign around a sharp corner that says 35 miles an hour. You know that sign is there, and I know some of you see it, and you're like, all right, let's see if we can push it to 4550, you know? But There's a reason that sign is there, because some probably over-the-road truck driver decided that he was going to push it to 45.50, and next thing you know, he either goes off the side of the road, he tips his trailer, what have you. The sign on the mower that shows the severed fingers if you stick your hand underneath it, right? There's someone right now walking around with no fingers because they didn't have that sign. These rules were made because of hard lessons learned. Jesus, the Son of God, was sent by God to give you the resources that you might spend life with him in eternity. Now here's the thing I know. I'm prone to failure. Let me tell you something about my mower. It's got a bagger on the end of it. And sometimes if grass gets a little long, it gets clogged right at the end. And I don't want to shut that mower off so I have to pull to start it again, right? So I just open that flap and I reach in to try and clear it out real quick, right? Now all of you, are th- you're thinking it, you're, you're thinking, stupid. Just, just shut it off. Just clear it out. And what I'm telling you is we are prone to failure. We're humans, and so you might be sitting here thinking, Pastor, I don't always get it right. And, and you're, you're asking, do I have to perfectly follow his words? And even though God instructs us, he says, be holy as I am holy or be perfect as I am perfect, we know it is impossible for us. You are going to fail. You know, at home I have two dogs. One is an eight-year-old English bulldog. His name's Wrigley. He weighs about 65 pounds. And then I have a Malshi, and her name is Lola, and she weighs about eight, okay? One dog is pretty well behaved, and the other will deliberately do the opposite of what you ask him to do. And I will say that the eight-pound dog, she is pretty well-behaved until a stranger comes to the door or walks on the sidewalk behind our house, and all of a sudden she believes she's a pit bull, and she comes completely unglued, and she's in attack mode. Despite all that, I would still label her a good dog, even when she can't hear it when I'm like, stop, no, Lola doesn't respond. Often in church, I hear people concerned over their failures, that no matter what steps they are making forward, they are hung up on the mistakes they have made. I'm going to tell you, that dog, she knows when she's in trouble. 
because she comes up to that back door and that tail is tucked between those legs and, and she's kind of anchoring her butt down toward the ground and she scurries behind the couch, you know. But these Christians, I know so many people, but they're hung up on what they've done believing they can't be forgiven or the slip-up causes you to lose God's grace. And I just want to speak to you for a moment if that's you. First off, we all have sinned. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. In fact, listen to what 1 John 1, 8 through 9 says. It says, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess, everyone say confess. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. And here's what I know. God is working in us despite our failures. He's working in us and has us going through this process where he is changing you by your pursuit of him. It's not immediate. It's not a sudden about face. I've seen it with some. But God is changing you over time and we as a body of Christ, we call that sanctification. The Holy Spirit is changing you through a process. Listen to 1 John 3, 9. It says, those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. We don't make it a regular practice so they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So over time, I should become more like Jesus, applying more of his teachings every day, and the result is I am living a life of obedience rather than continual sin. Can I get an amen? That's what it's about. Because if we choose to be disobedient against his word, that invites destruction. And with the kind of disobedience Jesus speaks of, it can come from one of two places, I believe. Because once you've heard it, it can come from a place of ignorance. So these are people that choose to do whatever they want, and they do not care about the ramifications. They're not aware of them. And then there's the much more scary one. There are the ones who disobey deliberately. They know God is instructing them not to do it or, or to heed his advice, yet they do it anyways. Listen to Matthew chapter 7, verse 13. It says, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gates is wide for the many who choose that way. There are translations that say the wide gate leads to destruction, but here is what the lesson is in all this. There are few who actually hear the lessons of Jesus Christ and they follow it. Jesus tells this parable in Matthew chapter 13 about someone, this, this potter, he's sowing seed in a field. And in it, Jesus explains the maturation of a seed based off of the soil that it has around it. And what, it, what, what we find is it's a great lesson in understanding that only those who take the words of Christ seriously, those, those who take them to heart and truly apply it, will grow and ultimately it will lead to heaven. So my question for you today, when you hear the words of Christ... 
Are you taking the necessary steps? Are you applying the words he is teaching? You know, this whole lesson today from Jesus in Luke 6, 46 through 49, he describes two foundations. In the book of Matthew, it describes it as sand and rock. Do we have anyone who's ever built a home in here today? Okay, we've got a couple. We've got a couple. And you know that the most important thing that you can build is the foundation. It all comes down to the foundation. So the foundation you lay is critical. And I don't know if you're aware that in this church, we are putting our mission's focus on helping build a school in Thailand. And we've got some board members that are going over there in March. And the, the whole purpose is that I lead an organization of, of, of men in, uh, that's, that's national, that we build churches all over the world. And one of the most important things we do is we go over and we do a soil test so that we can determine the kind of footings or foundation that we need to set. And what happened is they were given this property and had two enormous ponds on there. And like, well, in order to build our structures, we need to fill these ponds in. And so what they did, they brought in a bunch of soil, but they didn't compact it. And then the previous soil was clay. And we're hearing all this, we're like, we can't just go over there and we can just start laying our footings. We need to bring in more soil, and this time we need to compact it, and there's some things that we need to do. And so we're going over there in March to do that because when you build a three-story building, and some of it is on some firm soil, and some of it is on soil where a pond used to exist, what's going to happen once you build that? It's going to sink, right. It's going to collapse on the one side. And so what we need to do is we need to determine what the proper footing looks like because we want to build the nicest building in the world. But Lord knows it's not going to be that nice for long if we don't have a secure foundation. You know, some people are walking through life completely unaware of what foundation you are building on. But what we choose to believe in or we're convicted by, speaks to the foundation that we have. For instance, if there's no belief system in your life, it's going to be like building on the sand. One disaster strikes and that's it. It's knocked down and you're starting all over again. Life is in utter chaos. And you can determine if this is your foundation by any time there's something you're going through. Maybe it's a stressful situation at home. Maybe it's at work. Or maybe you're dealing with a a, a physical health battle. And then all of a sudden, your behaviors in response to that determine whether or not your foundation is secured on the rock or the sand. You see, sand speaks of uncertainty. It speaks of unknowing of the future. Rock speaks of security and hope that no matter the storm or life's trials, nothing is going to knock you down. Sand is unstable, unstable, it's inconsistent, but rock, it never moves. You see, without God, We invite all these various forms of understanding and knowledge from the world, and many of them seem very contrary to each other. 
And if we couple that with the instability of sin in our lives, it makes it certain that the foundation that we are building upon is going to crumble. And so each grain of sand that we build upon is too numerous to count, but it's represented by the crowd. It's represented by our culture. Listen, listen to what this author says. His name was uh, Gustave Le Bon. And he, it, this is in his book, The Crowd, from 1895. He wrote this. The masses have never thirsted after truth. They turn aside from evidence that is not to their taste, preferring to defy error if error seduced them. Whoever can supply them with illusions is easily their master. Whoever attempts to destroy their illusions is always their victim. I want to tell you something about this church. There is nothing I teach from up here where I don't challenge you to go look for yourself. Don't just take my word for it. Seek and discover it for yourselves. Because I'm telling you, those who don't pursue the truth, they will always hear what they want to hear if they solely desire to be satisfied in this life. But if you and I were to step back, were to look at creation, if we're to focus on a deep desire of purpose for ourselves, I know that God will speak to you and he will show you that he has so much more than you could ever imagine. So you and I, church, what we need to decide is to be firm, be consistent no matter what comes against us. Because lastly, I want to instruct you, there is security in following Jesus. There is security in following him. The only way I can remain consistent is by following Jesus Christ. Listen to Matthew eleven twenty eight. It says, Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. If life seems unstable, I am telling you, give Jesus a chance. Because what he is going to do, he is going to show you that he can be your security, he can be your stay, he can be your consistency, he can take all that burden off of you, he can take that burden of sin away from you, and he can show you that his way is the right way if you simply just trust and obey. Something I want to encourage you in, though, it doesn't happen instantly. But being sure-footed and secure in Jesus Christ, it's not going to beat you down. My brother Ethan, Ethan is living proof of that. He's living proof. It's not going to beat me down. So I'm going to trust in his teaching. I'm going to know his word. I'm going to communicate with him daily. If we do those things, if we commit to those things, our lives will be changed. But my last encouragement to you is this. Don't seek him only when times are bad. Don't commit to him as a half-hearted measure for, for just a moment of feeling secure. Understand that when you choose to follow him, when you choose to completely surrender unto him, it's a heart decision that determines the course of the rest of your life. That's why when he says... You call me Lord, Lord, but you don't do what I say. Now, I want to choose to call him Lord. 
and follow him through every action the rest of my life. As the prayer altar team comes forward, James chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. Who says amen to that? He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. I don't know about you, church, but I'm tired of being blown and tossed by the wind. I'm tired of the storms of life coming and me wavering in my faith. I want to be secure. I want to be sure-footed. I want to know that my faith, everything that I am, completely rests in Jesus Christ. So today, what I want to invite you to do is I want you to stand with me right now. We're going to sing a worship song. And if God is speaking to you today, if you're feeling beat up, if you're feeling unstable, if life has been inconsistent, if you're just struggling, you're like, man, I need to, I need to secure this foundation in Jesus Christ. Up here, we have prayer warriors right now. We have people that are committed to pray and stand with you. And they want to help lead you into that secure footing. And so what we're going to do is we're going to sing. And as we sing, if you say, man, I need prayer support. I'm going through it right now. Or I want to just secure my footing in Jesus Christ. I ask that you step out in faith as we sing. And pray with one of these prayer warriors. Let's sing right now.